Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to complete our, um, our study through chapter 3 today. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we broke this chapter down uh, based on four statements that the Apostle Paul makes to the church in Corinth in this chapter. And he says to them, uh, he says in, verse, uh, in, ver- in the first three verses, he says to them, you are still carnal. And we talked about that declaration to that church that they were carnal being a call to spiritual maturity, a call to mature spiritually. So we as the body of Christ, as the people of God, are called to mature spiritually according to divine nature. When Paul makes this statement to them, he says, why are you behaving like mere men? And in that statement, Paul distinguishes the old nature from the new nature. When we were in our first birth from Adam, dead in sin, Christ, through the new birth, causes us to be born again with a new nature. We bore the nature of the first man. Now, with the spiritual birth, we bear the nature of the new man, or as Paul refers to Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, the second man. So he's saying to these believers, or these people who are professing to be believers, if you are truly born again and you now bear the nature of the second man, the heavenly man, born of the Spirit, why are you behaving like the old man, like mere men, still dead in your sin? So it's a call to mature spiritually. Then we see in verses 4 through 9 that Paul makes this declaration. He says in verse 9, he says, you are God's field. And this is a call to manifest fully the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, you are God's field. So we're not the seed, we're the field. The seed is planted in the field. And so when a farmer plants a seed in a field, he doesn't want to get an increase of the field, he wants to get an increase of the seed. And so the Christian life is not not about our increase, it's about the increase of the seed that's been implanted in our hearts, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about coming to maturity and beginning to fully manifest the life, the nature, the character of Christ in me, the hope of glory. You are God's field. It's a call to manifest fully Christ according to divine increase. Some plants, some water, but God brings the increase. The farmer plants, the farmer waters, but it's God who causes the seed to grow. So it's a call to mature spiritually. It's a call to manifest fully Christ. And then he says in the same verse, you are God's building. And so we are called to build masterfully. Paul says it's been given to me wisdom as a master builder. And so we're to build masterfully according to divine order. God is the architect. He is the one who designed all of this before there was anything created. Before God said, let there be light, God had an eternal plan and purpose. Before he began to build, he had a purpose, a plan in eternity. And so we're called to build according to his divine order. 
Now today we're going to talk about the last of these uh, statements that Paul makes to the church in Corinthians. Let's go to verse let's go to verse 18. And let's read from verse 18 to the end of the chapter, 18 through verse 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. I want you to pay close attention to what Paul writes here. Let me read that verse 21 again. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Did you catch that? This is very important. There is so much in these three verses, 21, 22, and 23, it's really beyond our ability to to comprehend. But now the Spirit of God in us will give us illumination, revelation. So if you're reading the Word and you're trying to understand the Word with this thing right here, apart from the Spirit, you're not going to do it. This is what Paul said. Remember when we started this study in in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, he said, the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. He said that he cannot so we liken this, remember, it's like trying to hear a sunset. If we all went out and every day tried to hear the sunset, and we said, well, I can't hear the sunset, so the sunsets must not be real. Somebody came along and said, no, your problem is that, that you're using the wrong faculty. You don't hear sunsets, you see a sunset. Open your eyes and see the sunset, and then you'll, you'll realize that sunsets are real. Problem is, you don't hear a sunset, you have to see it. So trying to understand the things of the Spirit with a natural mind, an unregenerate man trying to understand the things of the Spirit is just like going out and trying to hear the sunset. It ain't going to happen. cannot happen. But now when the Spirit of God comes into us and opens the eyes of our understanding, illuminates our hearts and our minds to the things of God, and this is what Paul is writing about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, These things are hidden from the world, but they've been revealed to us by the Spirit. And so now, Paul, in making this statement, because what was happening in this church, these guys were saying, hey, I'm of Apollos. They said, no, well, I'm of Paul. Oh, well, I'm of Peter. Paul says, who's Peter? Who's Paul? Who's Mary? Oh, no. (laughs) Y'all didn't catch it, did you? Peter, Paul, and Mary. Uh Uh-huh. Who are they? Who are they? says, Paul is no one. Apollos is no one. We plant, we water, but it's God who gives the increase. And so Paul, when he comes down to this point, he says, therefore, 
Let no one boast in men. Why? Because, listen, don't be deceived by the wisdom of this world. Don't think that men who profess to be wise have anything to offer you if they're operating out of the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of the natural, unregenerate man. Because they're, they can't understand, they cannot understand, they cannot discern, they cannot comprehend and perceive spiritual things because they're, they're not spiritual, they're natural, they're carnal. So now, he says, but you, Corinthians, you Christian, or I could say, hey, Christ Fellowship, you Christians who are out here, you in Christ, if you are in Christ, you're not carnal anymore. So don't live as though you are. Don't think as though you are. Don't operate in life as though you are because if you are in Christ, you're in the spirit. You're not in the flesh any longer. And so he says it's silly for you to say, hey, I'm of Apollos or I'm of Paul or I'm of Cephas. He said because None of that matters. What matters is, are you in Christ? Who cares if Paul baptized you or Apollos baptized you or Peter baptized you? The question is, who were you baptized into? You were baptized into Christ. That's what's important. So in verse 21, he says, Therefore, let no one boast in men. You know, I I, I can remember going... <clears throat> well, you know, it's, it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, I got, my, uh, I got my degree from this school, or I got my degree from that school. Or if we were in the culture that Jesus walked in and lived in, it'd be, well, I received my training from this rabbi, and I received my training from that rabbi. Well, my rabbi's better than your rabbi. That's kind of, that was the whole thing. My rabbi's better than your rabbi because my rabbi came from this tradition. Well, you think that's big. Let me tell you what my rabbi did. I mean, it was silliness. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, I'm Baptist, I'm Lutheran, I'm Catholic, I'm this, I'm that. It's silliness. Are we Christ? Do we belong to Christ? Do we belong to Christ? That's what's important. And so Paul brings us down to a point that's really quite profound. And it goes so much deeper than just what my tradition or what my denomination or what person baptized me or what person discipled me. Paul takes this to a, man, to an eternal level. Now look at this. In verse 21, he says, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all Things are yours. You really would have to just ponder that statement for a long time to really begin to understand the magnitude of what Paul is saying here. We tend to live on such a surface level. Are you listening to me, church? The church tends to live on such a surface level. We're so caught up with surface things. That, that we're impressed by who my rabbi is or who anointed me or who 
did this for me or what my tradition is or what church I used. We're, we're so impressed by surface things. And Paul is taking, he's, he's just shattering the surface here and he's saying, no, get, get beyond the surface here. You need to realize, realize the depth and the magnitude of your salvation and who you are in Christ. This is why whatever struggles we go through in life, we have to keep those struggles in perspective. Even struggles as, I mean, to the magnitude that Cindy is dealing with cancer in her body and the doctors tell her, if you don't get a miracle, there's no hope for you. Well, she has all the hope in the world. Because she doesn't belong to the doctors. She doesn't belong to cancer. She belongs to Christ. Now, I can't prophesy what's going to happen. I can't prophesy whether she's going to live another year or another hundred years. I can't. And nobody knows that. Only God knows that, right? But we keep, we have to keep everything in its proper perspective. And when Paul makes this statement and he says, all things are yours. That puts everything in a perspective that, that should dwarf all of our struggles. Not minimize them. Not say they're not important. Not, not say they're not hard. But I'm saying the reality of who we are and what we have in Christ should cause everything else to be dwarfed. I have sugar bites all over me. I went fishing yesterday. Well, I didn't fish. I just sat under the tree and read. And, and somebody said, did you go fishing? I said, no, I fed the chiggers. And I said, you know, chiggers have to eat too. It, it, you know, it's just an annoyance, you know. I mean, I could scratch my ankles till they bleed right now if I would let myself. It's, it's just an annoyance. You know, that's a little bitty thing. You know, we just have to keep things in their proper place. As we begin to, listen, as the Spirit of God begins to open our eyes and our understanding, we begin to see Christ for who He truly is. It puts everything else in its proper place. And it's not that, it's like the chiggers. The chiggers that are all over my legs that bit me, they're real. Those bites are real. I could pull my pant leg up and show you all the red spots. They're real. So I'm not denying that they're not there. I'm not denying that they're not real. It's a real annoyance. It's an inconvenience. It's, it's having an effect on my life, but I have to keep that in its proper perspective. I'm not going to sit at home all day and scratch my chiggers because they itch. I'm going to... I'm just going to keep on living life, and I'm going to keep on doing what God has called me to do in spite of the annoyances. Now, Cindy dealing with cancer is way different, but but at the same time, I think Cindy would be the first one to tell you that, that she has to do the same thing. She wishes that it was just chiggers that she was dealing with, right? But at the same time, 
somewhere, regardless of what we're dealing with, we've got a purpose in our hearts and our minds that Christ is bigger than cancer. Christ is bigger than the economy. Christ is bigger than the government. Christ is bigger than, than all the things happening in the world. He's bigger than the wars. He's bigger than the tornadoes. He's bigger than everything that's disrupting people's lives all over the place. And that's not to deny those things, but it's to say, do we understand who we are in this man who is called Jesus Christ? Do we understand that what God has done for us when he caused us to be born again, he delivered us from sin and death and brought us into life eternal? And that's not just the hope of getting to heaven one day. That's life right here and right now. That might be life with cancer. That might be life with real economic and financial problems. That might be life with real family issues, whether it be husbands and wives or children and parents or brothers and sisters. It's life. How are we going to live life? How are we going to go through this life? Are we going to let the things that are all around us on the surface define us and dictate to us how we're going to walk in this life? Or do we see something and know something and comprehend something at a much more foundational level, at a spiritual level? And we understand that who we are cannot be dictated by the things of this earth because we are no longer of this earth. We're no longer of this world. We live on the earth, but we're not of the world any longer. We're going to rule and reign on this earth for eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? We're not going to go float around on clouds in heaven for eternity. The Bible says Jesus is coming back to this earth, and we're going to rule and we're going to reign on this earth with him. What's passing away and what is going to pass away is the world system that is now governing or affecting this earth and all of creation. And what I'm saying is who you are in Christ, Christian, is bigger, is more powerful, cannot, the world system can't dictate to you unless you submit to it. And so what does the scripture tell us to do? Don't submit to it. Don't love it. Don't worship it. See that you are not of it any longer. You're in it, but you're not of it. You don't belong to it. You belong to Christ. You used to belong to it, but now in Christ, it belongs to you. Are you hearing me? Here's how Paul starts this out. All things are yours. All things are yours. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're, we're, we're caught up with small pieces of real estate on the globe, uh, on, on, the, on this earth. We get caught up with little pieces of real estate in various places on the earth, yet the Bible says, for the meek, for those in Christ, the meek shall inherit the earth. Do you understand what that means, church? The earth is ours. Not just a small piece of it, but the whole thing belongs to us in Christ. Paul says all things 
are yours, and you guys are fussing and fighting over who baptized you, over who discipled you, over what denomination you are, over what church you go. No. He said, you got to get a bigger picture. You need to have some things shattered and destroyed in your life, in your mindset that will enable you to see something larger, eternal, spiritual. Spiritual doesn't mean it's not real. Spiritual doesn't mean it's going to just happen one day when we get to heaven. That's what a lot of people think when we talk about spiritual things. We think, oh, we're talking about spiritual things, so that has no practical application for me. No, that's not right. Spiritual things, you are spiritual. If you're born again, you are spiritual. You live in a flesh and blood body. That's true. And it doesn't matter what what happens. One way or the other, this flesh and blood body is going to wear out and go away. Even, even if we're here when the Lord Jesus returns, your, your body's going to go away. So don't get caught up with trying to preserve this body as long as you can. Treat it well. You should take care of it, but you should also realize as well as you take care of it, one day it's going to give out. It's meant to. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's really a gift that God's given you that you're going to shed this thing one day because if you keep it, you're never going to be able to inherit fully what he's prepared for you. But at the same time, let me say this, what he's prepared for you is a reality right now. Spiritual is not one day in heaven. Spiritual is right now on earth. What did Jesus teach us? How did he teach us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What did Jesus say in Luke 17, 21? He says, the kingdom of God is within you. They said, Jesus, what's the sign of the coming of the kingdom? He said, the kingdom doesn't come with observation, for the kingdom of heaven is within you. If you're in Christ right now, the kingdom is in you right now. The kingdom is in the earth right now. And say, man, I can't see it. We'll stop looking at the wrong things. Because they're not reporting it on CNN or NBC or MSNBC. They're reporting all about the other kingdom, the kingdom that's passing away. And it is. They're reporting about the rulers that are coming to nothing. This is what we read this in 1 Corinthians. The rulers of this world, what's God doing with them? He's bringing them to nothing. And at the same time, he's bringing them to nothing. Guess what? His kingdom is growing. And how long will his kingdom grow? Isaiah the prophet said, when that child is born, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So it's going to grow. How big is the universe? It's pretty big. I think, do you think God's rule only extends to the earth? You think it extends to all of his creation? All of it. All of it. So he says, you are God's possession. Look at this. For all things are yours. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, the world. That world system that you're no longer of, You're not of it, but guess what? It's yours. 
of life, of death. of things present or things to come, all are yours. That just, I don't know about you, that just kind of blows my mind. I'll just be honest with you. I can't process that. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to process that, okay? It's a good thing to ponder on, I think, to think about what God has provided for you. But look at this next verse, and you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. So, when it's all said and done, what do we take away from what Paul is saying here? Is it about all things belonging to us, or is it about all things belonging to God? The correct answer is it's about all things belonging to God. And here's what we want to do a lot of times. We want to take the gospel we want to take the Word of God, the promises of God, and we want to take them, and we want to just make them all about us. But the reality is they're not all about us. The point of Paul saying to the Corinthians, all things are yours, was to make them realize that in reality, church, Christian, Corinthians, you belong to God. People of Christ Fellowship, people sitting in this room today, you belong to God because Everything is his. It belongs to you how? It belongs to you because you're in God. How are you in God? Because you're in Christ. But I'm not the tail wagging the dog, right? I'm a member of the body, but he is the one who is the sovereign, who is the Lord. You are God's possession. This is a call for us to humble fearfully before the Lord, according to divine wisdom and divine authority. Who has all authority? God does. Do you really believe that, church? I know in your mind you believe that and you understand that. But I'm saying, has that become a revelation to you? That God is really the one with all authority. That he is the one whose name is above all names. That he is the one whose power is above all power. That he's not out there reacting to a devil. That the devil is his creation and his instrument to use as he wills. If you believe the devil is out of control of God, then your God is not very big. And we don't have to go far in Scripture to see, even in the book of Job, that look, the devil couldn't do one thing to Job until God said, okay, and then God says, and these are the limitations I place around you. God is in control. You can trust your God. If your God's not in control totally and completely, then I would say you can't trust your God. But since the scripture is very clear that God 
is the sovereign. He is absolutely in control. I can say to you with all certainty this morning, Christian, you can trust your God totally, completely, absolutely, without any reason to doubt whatsoever. You can trust him because all things are his. How do you know that, Pastor Jeff? I just read it to you from the Bible, and I believe the Bible is true. I believe it. I believe what is written here. I'm just naive enough to believe that. All things are God's. They belong to God. Everything does. So we're called to humility and the wisdom of God. Look, Paul says, look, don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Do you realize that what I just said to you about God being absolutely in control is foolishness to the world? It's foolishness to them. And there's a lot of people who would dispute with me and say, no, that's not true. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's just it's ignorance to even believe that. And so this is the foolishness that the Bible is talking about. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So our boast is not in men. Our boast is in God. The God who possesses everything, the God that owns everything, the God who is in authority and rules over everything. And so the fact that he is that God ruling and reigning over all is a call for us to humble ourselves. It's a call to reject the wisdom of the world When I say to reject the wisdom of the world, I'm not saying that you reject common sense. That you reject knowledge. Knowledge won't save you, but God gave you a brain, and I firmly believe that we should use our brains. And we should use the intellect that God has blessed man with to find cures for diseases. I mean, babies used to die wholesale of diarrhea because there was no cure for diarrhea. Now we know how to clean water, and it's rare for people to die from waterborne diseases unless they're in very underdeveloped parts of the world. God gave man the ability to do things like that. So use your intellect. But listen, that's far different than the wisdom of the world. Humility is our willingness to measure and submit all knowledge and all wisdom and ultimately ourself to the truth of God and allow that truth of God to govern our life. Did you hear me? It's our willingness to submit all of our knowledge, all of our wisdom, all of ourselves to the truth of God and allow that truth to govern our lives. So we're called to humility in the wisdom of God. We're called to humility in the authority of God. It's a call to know that all things are His. Life is not about doing our will, but our joyful submission to 
His will. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to do. I mean, my gosh, if anyone was going to do their own will, we would think Jesus could do His own will, right? It's the Son of God. But He said, I didn't come to do my own will. I only do the will of my Father. And if Jesus only did the will of His Father, how much more should we desire and seek to do the will of our Father in heaven? So it's a call to humble, to humility and the authority of God. And we find our joy in doing His will. And we find our absolute fulfillment in His absolute authority. So to humble ourselves in hope. What Paul says, hope speaks of those things that are not seen. Because why are we hoping for what we can see? So hope inherently speaks of what is not seen. So oftentimes we, we're called to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves to God in situations and circumstances that, that seem unsure to us because we, maybe we can't see the outcome of that situation. Or we can't, we can't seem to connect the dots and figure out why, why should I? humble myself, submit myself to this. I, I can't see a good outcome or I can't, I can't make sense of this. Well, it's not always about being able to see what is. It's hope is knowing that what is, even though I can't see it, is true. Like God. I mean, I don't know if anyone has ever seen God physically. I have never physically seen God. Jesus Christ has never appeared to me. But I believe in him and I hope in him. Not because I have seen him physically, but in a sense I've seen him by faith. I know him by faith. There's something in me that even though I can't handle him like I can handle this pulpit here, I know he's more real. This is going to pass away, but Jesus will never pass away. He is eternal. And the hope I have in him, even though I can't handle it and see it and touch it and embrace it, it's, it's more real than what I can handle and what I can see and what I can touch and what I can embrace. And so my hope is in that because I know it's true. So though we hope in what is unseen, we hope in what is true and what is more certain than even what we are able to see. And this is the mark of maturity. It's the mark of fruitfulness. It's the mark of wisdom. It's the mark of a life crucified. So Jesus said, unless you are willing to take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Paul writes to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's the wisdom and power of God, not of man, that saves us and gives us his abundant life. What is this abundant life that Jesus talks about? There's a lot of people that talk about abundant life, but they talk about it in such shallow terms. I mean, if you watch Christian TV, all you can figure out is that abundant life is about what kind of house I live in, what kind of car I drive, and how much money I have. But I'm telling you what, Jesus didn't come for any of that. 
drive the biggest car you can, live in the biggest house you can, have the biggest bankroll you can. I don't care. Use it for the glory of the kingdom. That's all that matters. Understand that if you got it, it came from God. And if it didn't come from God, then more than likely you're not going to keep it. And it's not going to bless you, it's going to curse you. But God will still use it for his glory, whether it's a blessing or a curse to you. Do you understand that? A lot of people who have the most money in the world probably uh, don't even believe in God, or they believe in the wrong God. But yet God will take their wealth. He'll take those things that he's allowed them to have, and he'll use them for his glory, and ultimately even use them as a curse against those people. So how should we understand abundant life? Is it, should it be about provision? Should it be about things that we're trying to get? Absolutely not. The abundant life that Christ came to give us is the eternal and powerful life of his resurrection. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This isn't talking about a condition of life on the earth. This is talking about the spiritual reality of the resurrected life that God gives to us in Christ Jesus. And in that resurrection life, I'm telling you what, there's healing in every way you can imagine. There's provision in every way that you can imagine. There is joy and fulfillment in ways and in means that you can't even begin imagine but don't limit it to something that is so shallow understand what God gave you when his son was crucified on that tree when he died and was buried and when he ascended to glory understand that what he gave you is not anything that can be measured by wealth in an earthly sense It's not anything that can be quantified in any way, shape, or form in a natural or earthly way. Because the richness of it, the reality of it is eternal. It is infinite. The value of it cannot be measured. For how can you measure the value of the Son of Glory that came and gave His life for you? You can't measure that. It's immeasurable. He is immeasurable. This is the life that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Church, do you you understand that? Measure that life. Measure the abundance of that life against the things that the enemy would bring into your life to try to distract you because he wants to draw your attention away from that life. He wants to make you believe that life is something less than it really is. He doesn't want you to know and to see and to begin to comprehend the depths of the life, the abundant life that Jesus Christ has given to you if you have been born again and you now live in union and life with him. He does, the enemy doesn't want you to know that. So he will do everything that he can to distract you, to turn you away and to make you believe it's something less than it really is. We have a tendency in our flesh, in our natural man, to we, want, we like to have this flesh satisfied. And this is exactly why if we were honest about what we're reading in our Bibles, especially in the New Testament, especially in the epistles. It's a call to the cross. It's a call to put away this carnal, fleshly man. And you know what? I'll tell you right now, the flesh doesn't like that. We don't like to hear that. 
Our natural man does not like to hear that because he wants to stay around. He wants to, he, he wants to have the preeminence, but, but he can't have the preeminence because the preeminence is for Christ and for Christ alone. And so in Colossians chapter 3, turn over to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For, for to me to write the same... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong verse, the wrong book. Let me get to Colossians. Colossians 3, 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's not a call to, you know, we, you heard this phrase, we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. If we really understood what it meant to be heavenly minded, that, 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 that's wrong. Paul is not saying, look, just, just don't worry about things on the earth. Don't think about those things. That, that's not what he's saying. Listen, we are living on the earth. We've been put in this earth as salt and light to make a difference. What he's saying is the earth and the circumstances of the earth and the things of the earth and the things of this world system that are pressing against you, get your mind off of those, get your eyes off of those because you have been lifted above that. Get your eyes and your minds where Christ is. Where is Christ? He's above those things. Well, where are you? Ephesians says you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. And until you begin to see yourself seated in that place with Christ, then you're going to be trying to put out the fires of the things of the earth, this world system. Paul is saying, see yourself above those things because they are above those. You are above those. Well, yeah, but Paul, you know, they're going to kill me tomorrow because I preach Jesus. Well, they may kill you tomorrow, but they have no power over you. The only power they have is to take your physical life. What is that? Jesus said, don't fear people that can do that. Now, listen, I don't, I don't want someone to come and take my life. I'll be honest with you. I'm, listen, God caused me to be born in America because he probably knew I couldn't handle being a martyr somewhere. I'm not going to pretend like, you know, I just want to go somewhere and die for Jesus. You know, if, if, if I had to die for Jesus, I would trust that God would give me the grace to die for him. And I would not deny my Lord, but I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, I got some martyr syndrome. I want to go, I, I want to live as long as I can. All right, I'm like anybody else. But at the same time, listen, if it comes down to it, whatever we face in this life, we, we've been taken above that. And there's nothing that this world, this earth can do to us that has any eternal effect on us because we've been, we've been removed from that in Christ. If you cut me, I will bleed. I experience real pain just like you do. We all do. So it's not to say we don't suffer, we do suffer. But so did Jesus. And Paul also wrote to Timothy, said, unless you suffer with me, you, you won't rule. Unless you suffer with him, you won't rule with him. Suffering is a part of our life in this earth. It just is. How do we embrace that? Because it's ours. Paul says it's yours. Life and death, it's yours. Where is it? It's mine. It's mine in Christ. If it's in Christ, if it's mine in Christ, then I know that Christ has already overcome it because he's overcome everything. 
Remember what I said about death? Don't look at death as a master. Look at death as a slave because all death can do is take you to Jesus if you're in Christ. So let no one boast in man, Paul says, for all things are yours. God's love for us in Christ is so great. Listen, church, it's so great that it has made all things ours. Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God has not only promised us eternal life, the resurrection life of his son, but he's also promised that he will work all things together for good to those that love him, to those that are called according to his purpose. How is that promise made real? It's made real because God, God owns everything. All things belong to God. And we belong to Christ. And all things belong to us because we are caught up in that life. We are joined to that life. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one and no thing can prevail against us. Regardless of what happens naturally, physically, we win. We don't win one day in the future. We win right now. You have victory right now. What Christ has given to you, what belongs to you, belongs to you right now. Do you believe that, church? Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's happening in your life, do you believe that what has been given to you, that he has given you all things in Christ, do you believe that those things are yours right now? Do you believe that those promises are yours right now? Do you believe that you have hope right now, not just one day, but right now? Do you believe that? You must believe that because that's what the scripture communicates to us. That is the truth. That is the truth. The things of the earth, the things of the world, those are the things passing, the things that are yours right now in Christ are eternal. Everything else is passing away. I want to read something to you real quick. It's from a little book. Can't buy this book in the bookstore. The gentleman who wrote these books does not sell them. He's long gone now with, to be with the Lord. And they do not sell any of his material. Yet I would chal- I'd be challenged to find anything that even compares to what this man has written. But he, they don't sell it because they don't believe that it should be sold. Because it's God's truth, so they give it away. Kind of a novel idea, isn't it? This little book is called The Centrality and Universality of the Cross. Listen to this. Christ cannot come in until man goes out. This applies initially and progressively. There is no place in Christ for the fallen and Satan-produced judgments, thoughts, energies, feelings, etc. of another man The measure of Christ depends upon the exit of what is not Christ. Did you catch that? 
The measure of Christ depends upon the exit of what is not Christ. What is the Spirit of God doing in your life? The Spirit of God is working out those things of your life that are not Christ. Your fears, your inhibitions, your insecurities, your lusts, your desires, your bad habits, whatever it is, your pride, your low self-esteem, whatever it is. Those things that are not of Christ, the Spirit of God is working those out through a process, let's, we'll just call it life. Through the course of your life, this is what the Spirit of God is doing. So the measure of Christ depends upon the exit of what is not Christ. This has to be faced as a basic and inclusive fact sooner or later, once for all. Then it has to be recognized that conformity to the image of Christ is a life process, and this life process goes on on the basis of the cross. It is not, listen, it is not new dyings in Christ. It is not a repetition of the cross once, twice, or many times, but it is an outworking of the once-for-all meaning and implications of the cross. Jesus died once, and he died once for all. And so, we're not re-crucifying Jesus. We're not re-crucifying ourselves. If you've been crucified with Christ, you've been crucified with Christ. Now, raised in his newness of life, it is the Spirit of God that is working all that is not Christ out of you. This is why you go through a struggle in life, and you, 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 let's just say you got some bad habit. You know, and you finally overcome this bad habit. You've spent years trying to overcome this thing. And you finally get victory over this thing. And you're, you're just so excited. But then it's not very long after that you begin to realize that there's something else. And you think, man, is this like just a series of unfortunate events? No, what it is is the Spirit of God working out of your life those things that are not Christ. And so don't... Don't reject those and don't run from those, but embrace those things as the work of God to do a work in you of conforming you to the Son of God. It's the once-for-all meaning and implication of the cross. The presence and effect in the church of what we are naturally, our natural state, our carnal state, is to limit Christ and therefore to deny the church and therefore to counter the sovereign headship of Christ. After all, I don't care if God says don't eat that fruit, I'm going to eat it because it looks good. It looks like it'll make me wise and it looks like it tastes good. I'm going to do it, I don't care what God says. That didn't end in the garden. That's human nature. That's the nature we need to be delivered from. That's the nature that needs to be crucified so we can be raised in the new nature, the nature of Christ. And it's that nature that the enemy uses to do all kinds of damage personally and corporately in the body of Christ. So it says, and therefore to make for spiritual weakness and therefore to put Satan in the place of power. How does God deal with all of this? He deals with it by the cross. The cross is the thing that God uses. So those things in your life and in my life, 
that the enemy could take and use to bring division or to bring damage or harm or that are contrary to Christ, the instrument that God uses to deal with those things in our lives is the cross. This is why if we preach a crossless gospel, we're not preaching a gospel. Churches today don't like to talk about the cross because it's too negative. Well, so what do we want to do? We just want to pump everybody up in their flesh and pet their flesh? No. Listen, the cross is the very instrument that God is going to use to work those things out of you so that you become more and more and more conformed to the image of the Son of God. And this is what Christ died for. This was God's eternal purpose before he said, let there be light. The cross wasn't plan B. The cross was the eternal plan of God, always has been. So what is it that God wants to do? What is it that he wants to do through us? Go to 1 Peter, and I close with this. 1 Peter chapter 2. So Paul says you're still carnal. We're called to mature spiritually. We're God's field. We're called to manifest Christ fully. We're called God's building. We're called to, to build and to be built masterfully according to divine order. And he says all things belong to you. Or in other words, you are God's possession. All things belong to you. We're called to humble fearfully under his mighty hand according to divine wisdom and to divine authority. And what is it that God is doing as he's working these things out by the cross to bring us into conformity? First Peter chapter 2, Peter says in verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That is what God is doing. You are his special Chosen people. That word peculiar, if you have a Bible that says peculiar, it means his special chosen. That means he chose you on purpose. He picked you on purpose. He saved you on purpose. He made you his very own on purpose. All things belong to you, but only because you belong to him. And he did that on purpose. And the things that are coming against you in life are not meant to, even though the enemy wants to use them to destroy you, to destroy your faith, whatever God has allowed to come into your life, to come against your life, though the enemy may mean it for evil and for your destruction, God says, I have placed the cross between you and the enemy. And the enemy cannot, he cannot, cannot go beyond the cross. The cross was his demise. The cross was his utter defeat, and it is our utter victory. And all the enemy can do is really bring to the surface those things that God 
through the cross, wants to work out of our life. And in that working out, he is conforming us more and more and more to the image of his son. And ultimately, when the sons of God are manifest and creation ultimately is released from the curse, from the fall, we will know and we will experience the ultimate glorification that God had predestined for us in Christ Jesus. This is the process. This is what God is doing. And this is why I say don't run from those things. Embrace those things, but embrace them in the cross and trust that you belong to God and God owns everything and you are safe and secure in Him. You are safe and you are secure in Him. Do you trust Him, church? This is His promise. Do you trust Him? Do you trust His promise? Do you? Do you know that you belong to Him? I would ask you that question. Do you know this morning that you belong to Him? Regardless of what's happening in your life, good, bad, or ugly, do you know that you belong to Him? It's an important question. One that I would encourage you to ponder. Let's all stand. The cross is the eternal purpose of God to bring all things, to gather all things into Christ. All things. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great and precious promises. We thank you, Lord, that your eternal purpose has always been to gather all things as one into Christ. And Lord, I pray today that, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would break down the hardness of our hearts, that you would cause the things, Lord, that the enemy has taken to try to use to create fear and uncertainty and doubt and unbelief in our hearts and in our minds. That God, you would take those very things meant for our destruction, that you would use the wondrous cross, Lord, to work out your salvation in us. To reveal, Lord, to us your eternal plans and purpose. Lord, to give us the assurance that we are truly safe and secure in you from all harm. I pray, God, that by your Spirit you would work and you would move that you would open blind eyes and open deaf ears, take hearts of stone and make them warm hearts of flesh. If there are any here who do not know that they belong to God, that you would reveal that, that you would convict them, and the cry of their heart would be for the Savior to save them. And we thank you for your promise that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. And I bless your people, Lord.
as they depart from this place. Thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us. Open the eyes of our heart, God, that we may see you and wonder at your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.